Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, hey everybody, welcome back to the Barbell Medicine Podcast, YouTube channel, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're getting this from. We have two special guests. One is the second most handsome doctor in the United States, <laughs> Austin Baraki, and uh, Sam Calhoun, national champion. Uh, we're fortunate to have you. How's it going, Sam? Going pretty well. How are you guys doing today? Well, better now. <laughs> now that, better now. Um, Sam, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, sort of like, you know, where you grew up, where you're from, when you got into lifting, like previous history of athletics, stuff like that. Just take us through the uh, your background. So I'm from Louisiana, born and raised. I uh, spent all my life there. I originally went to Nickel State, which is a small D1 um, in Thibodeau, Louisiana. I did well over three years there. And my second semester of my senior year, I transferred to University of Nevada, Reno, where I finished out two more years. Um, so I received a full scholarship to Nevada, and I ran there for a year and a half. Do you run in track? Running track. Ru- running game? What do you what do? You, oh, <laughs> running track. <laughs> so I was a sprinter there, 100 meter, 100, 200, indoor 60, and relays. How, how did you get into that? Like you just, you know, were at the track one day and then you decided I'm faster than all these girls <laughs> and you got into it in high school or what's the, someone recruit you or what? So my sister ran track. So she was uh, really good. She got a full scholarship to University of Monroe in Louisiana. Uh, so since she ran track, I was automatically assumed to also run. <laughs> okay. And she's a sprinter. Yep. She's a sprinter as well. So I just ran by default. Uh, so I started running in sixth grade. And how my high school is set up, since it was a small school, I was also able to run high school track. So even though I was in middle school, I was still able to compete for the high school. There's a lot of, I know a lot of like families like that who cluster in in swimming and really when I played baseball and all sports, that really tends to happen. Is there any uh, further back kind of athleticism, athletic history in your family besides you and your sister? I mean, if you ask my dad, he said he was fast, and he he would yeah. tell you that he's good at football, but there was no there was no evidence of those things. <laughs> <laughs> I like this already getting into the evidence. Yes, <laughs> very good. Uh, my mom, she she always say like if she, if she had the opportunity to do those things, sure. she would have been good as well. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, did I, you play any? I I kind of asked that just to set it up as like you, you're working with some pretty good genetic stock, probably from an athlete. Oh yeah, my yeah. sister is great. I think she was better than I was. Uh, I just cared more and had a Your little sister? better, yeah, and I had a little better work ethic, but she was definitely more talented than, than me. So you think at the peak of your guys running careers, oh, you think that she, me. she, oh really? Oh yeah. Like I remember watching her as a kid and like, she would like leave like gaps between her and her competitors. How old like, is she? Was, she's eight years older. Okay. She trying to lift or what? <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Is she trying to lift? Yeah. Yeah, we could do some damage. Uh, Baraki, is your family like that? Like, do your parents swim or no. like, what's up with that? No, there's, there's, I think my mom's dad, my grandfather on my maternal side, he like recreationally swam quite a bit. But outside of that, there's not really much athleticism in my family background. You just, what do you, you had like a drowning accident and then you were like, oh, I'm going to be a swimmer. Like, is that what happened or no? No, I had a good, I had a good, uh, my best friend in like third or fourth grade, I think he was like, yeah, I swim on this local, you know, winter recreation league team. You want to try it out? And at the time I was like a pretty shitty baseball player. And I was like, well, I'll go, I'll go try the swimming thing. And that kind of ended up going from there. But yeah, that was about it for me. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't, we have no genetic like predisposition to being athletic in my family, like I mean, my dad raced motocross, so I raced motocross. Same and deal. my brother, yeah, my brother, my brother out of nowhere somehow got an insane amount of genetic 
potential. He like, oh, I'm going to run the 100. I'm going to be a hurdler. And he's a one inch shorter than I am. And he's just crushes hurdles. And I was like, I know. I was like, dude, I couldn't even like in my best day. <laughs> if like, I, I don't think I could high jump over the hurdle. Like I just think like <laughs> it wouldn't work. Did you ever do uh, any so hurdling, Sam? I did it once in junior high and I literally high jumped over them. It was like, yeah, jump, pretty fun. sprint, yeah. jump. <laughs> well, how, how tall are you, Sam? How tall are you? How tall am I? Uh, five, four. Five, four. Okay. I didn't, I didn't want to like, you know, say, oh, she's five, three. And he'd be like, no, it's five, four. Okay. And have you ever tested your vertical jump? Like to see how high I was? Do you remember uh, if you ever like tested? I 24 inches. Does that sound about right? I mean, yeah. So average, I, I know the average male, like vertical jumps, like 22 inches and then female, I think it's like 16 or 14 or something like that. So that would make sense that you're above average. Sure. Uh, people, have you tested yours, Austin? No, never have. Yeah. Okay. I tested mine drunk at Wichita Falls in uh, cowboy boots. <laughs> And uh, I was like a full 28 and a half inches. So, yeah, oh, yeah. it's not, I suspect, not crushing I suspect it. we would have pretty unremarkable vertical jumps. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Can confirm. <laughs> I, it was funny because Bo was like, do you know how to jump? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, okay, Sam, how, how old are you as well? 28, 5'4" national champ from louisiana which you can't tell at all your accent is it's completely unremarkable <laughs> uh so you ran in college and then how do you end up in virginia so my sister's in the military so the year i was graduating college she was also getting deployed so i came to virginia to help take care of my nephew so i was pulling oh, I mama to a seven-year-old for a year while she was in afghanistan okay yeah so that's how i uh, got here and w- when did you start lifting so i started Seriously lifting um, the fall of 2014, and I was recreationally lifting, you know, right out of college, you know, dad. So in college, were you on like a strength conditioning program? Did they give you like an Excel spreadsheet, you know? We we never really took it serious. I mean, we did it. We showed up and we did kind of the bare minimum to get by, but no one really like put their heart into it at all. I think that's like I mean, most most collegiate sports that aren't football probably treat the weight room that way. I know, I know, I did back. It was a second job. It was, I don't know. It was yeah. like a nuisance. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember when I was a personal trainer, like like right out of undergrad or whatever. This woman uh, girl came in and she was like a freshman in in college, and she was she got sent home, um, like for winter break, right? And she was sent home with a program. She's track and field, and it was like high hang snatch, you know, from blocks. And she's in a commercial gym, like a 24 hour fitness equivalent. And she was like, what should I do? And I was like, I, I don't know. You should probably squat, to be honest. Like, <laughs> I think that if you don't know what to do, like if you're not equipped to handle that, then maybe we just squat instead. Um, do you remember what your numbers were when you were like recreationally lifting in college? Like, were you squatting? I mean, were you deadlifting? Or In college, we did a lot of cleans and I sucked yeah. at them. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I never got into it, because I sucked at it. Um, and Like Oli- Olympic weightlifting, yeah. th- that sort of thing. Okay. I just sucked at it. One, I was just trying you- to lift more than what I could. Well, you know, I was trying to follow suit with everyone else, and I sure. never got formally taught. So I was just kind of just throwing it up there. Um, and then we didn't squat, because I think I they didn't want to take the time to teach us. So yeah, sure. we just she didn't clean, do it. Not squat. Yeah. yeah so we did glute bridges instead and trap bar deadlift instead. So you're doing this fitspo thing for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <Which> is... <laughs> I see some of the girls now at Nevada and they are squatting. So maybe they have so, better. Some progress has been made. Yeah. They have better coaches now. And they have lifters. You... I, I noticed I'm, I'm like the whole team have lifters. So that's pretty cool. Oh, shoes. Oh, shoes. shoes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, what, do you remember what you were cleaning? Like any idea, like numbers wise? Probably like 105 uh, pounds. Yeah. Not that yeah, okay. crazy. Yeah. Kilos. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, cause I remember I interviewed Colleen Foch and she was like, yeah, the first time I snatched, I snatched 135 pounds. And I was like, you know, that's, that's really good Colleen. And she goes, you know, it's not, it's not really impressive. And I was like, <laughs> please don't hurt me. <laughs> uh, okay. So you were, uh, and you graduated what year from college? 2013. 13. All right. So you did, you did a little bit of like low key strength conditioning, you know, as needed through college. And then you moved to Virginia to uh, take care of the nephew. And then 2014, you get into lifting for real. 
No, How I'm does that happen? Fispo at that point. Well, yeah, you were fit glue, glue bridges, booty workouts. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I was still doing, I was monkeying around in the gym for a long time, for at least a year. Like handstands on the dumbbells, trying to do muscle ups. I was doing a lot of crazy things for at least a year out of college because it was fun. It was the first time in my life I had like free reign to do what I wanted. Like it was the first time without like a program, sure. without a coach, without any. Well, this is. This is kind of interesting that you mentioned this because we actually talked to Greg Knuckles last week and uh, we were talking about kind of the approach to introducing folks to strength training and and things like that. And he was making the comment that like the people that uh, he sees who actually stick with training over the long term very often are people who do what would objectively or otherwise be considered to be like less than ideal kind of beginner training when they first go in the gym. They have they develop a love for it. They develop the the enjoyment piece. They typically do a, quite a bit of variety and they have a bunch of people around them that they enjoy training with and lifting with and they end up sticking with it longer. And he said that his observation was that people who do like really rigidly focused stuff starting right off the bat are from his observations, which are not, you know, data, so to speak, but, uh, you know, uh, relatively a little bit more likely to, to burn out in the longer term and seeing kind of how far you've made it you could argue in spite of doing a bunch of quote unquote silly stuff at the beginning is just kind of an, an interesting observation. And it's one that Jordan and I both also share in that we started out training in ways that were not quote unquote ideal. Um, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just that, cause the idea is that it, when you're just starting out, if you really are enjoying the gym, right. So that you like enjoy going, I think those people are less inclined to start seeking out like what is the best program I can do like right off the bat because you're just like this is fun like I like going in yeah. I'm with my friends I you know and and I would further kind of argue that those are our type of people are like <laughs> yeah of course I'm going to add a little bit of weight to the bar or do a few more rep like that's just or challenge myself in some other way be, that's just our inclination yeah. right so so you know you for instance said that you thought your sister was more talented but you're like yeah but my work ethic though and it's like well there's some genetic ties into that anyway I, I that's it is an I, again, interesting topic to both of us yeah yeah. Yes. Yes. Also, also second to fourth digit ratios, but that's for another podcast. Um, okay. So you were screwing around. Do you remember if there was any point where you were like, I'm going to start squatting and deadlifting and like bench pressing or like getting a powerlifting or did that, did that take come much later? So as soon as I got, well, one, I started, I always been attracted to squats and I started squatting at Planet Fitness. Uh, problem was, is I started squatting on the Smith machine mm-hmm. and I thought I was really strong until I posted a video on my Instagram and one of my old teammates called me out and she said, let me see you do that on a, a, a free rack. I don't know what, how she worded it, but she was like, let me see you do that on a free rack. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I could do this anywhere. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, I'm like, of course, I, like, this is legit. So then I got a membership to Fitness 19, uh, which was a gym that was closest to where I lived at the time. Uh, and I, and it was the first time on my own that I squatted with a free bar with no assistance and 135 felt like 500 pounds, right. you know? So I was like, Oh, this is what she was talking about. It's you different. Yeah. It's different. <laughs> and that was, was that 2014? That was 2000. That's, that was probably, uh, spring 2014. Yeah. Spring 2014. You're lifting 135 pounds. All right. Yeah. And then just just so everybody knows like where we're going with this in 2016, fall of 2016, you end up squatting uh, 324 in competition at your first meet uh, as a 63 kilo lifter. Yeah. Uh, so 132. Just, just so everybody recognizes like, you know, what you did. So, all right. It's 2000, it's early 2014. You go, you realize that the, the refining power of the barbell squat, (laughs) then what? So, but then I still have ego. So instead of just training the squat, I do box squats above parallel box squats, because with that, I could still like move from some decent weight. I could still move like 225, you know, coming off the box. So I'm like, oh, you know, we're good. You know, we can still move (laughs) some weight. And, I, and then a trainer at the gym was like, no, you need to take that away. You need to go down deeper. So, like, over and over again, I had to, like, retrain my squat. That's so I've retrained great. the squat, like, five <laughs> times, you know. 
Yeah. Although I would imagine that you were still getting some degree of training effect out of doing yeah, that stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, so it, it it took me a solid six months, I know, to fully hit 225 at depth. Below parallel, so again, it's still 2014. Mm-hmm. Are, are you deadlifting at this time, yeah, too? Yeah, I was still deadlifting, uh, probably maxing out every other week. That's how you do, that's how you do it, Bulgarian deadlift style. <laughs> wide, wide conventional, wide hands. Oh, why? <laughs> okay. Yeah, sumo, so ha- so, sumo so grip. You're illustrating the picture of like just everything about your introduction to training being like as quote unquote suboptimal as possible. <laughs> but the crazy thing is, I thought I knew what I was doing. Like, Of course, everybody you, does. You know, yeah. you couldn't tell me otherwise. Yeah, I can. thought I was legit. Yeah. I had my yeah. gloves. Sure. Gloves? <laughs> yeah, I had some gloves. Jeez. Yeah, it would be, it'd be hard to rationally go do like to exercise at yet at the same time say i have no idea what i'm doing here <laughs> like like because that's just too much cognitive dissonance to actually take action you you know you have to say i kind of know what i'm doing sure right yes the gloves I, i'm interested we should find these gloves i wish we had that to show <laughs> I, I definitely have videos of these They'll be like leg- legendary like michael jackson's glove or something like that <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah pink with flowers all right so so a year ends up going by you know, basically where you're exercising, training, uh, some sort of blend of that. What makes you go to compete for the first time? So it wasn't until I started grad school. Um, I think it was maybe my second semester into grad school. So now it's like fall 2015. And I had a uh, classmate. He always did his research on bodybuilding and powerlifting. You know, he'll bring up these different people. And I'm like, I could do that. You know, like he'll present different <laughs> numbers. And I'm like, I could do that. You know, so I was like, I want to get strong. At that point, I was like, I want to get stronger. You know, I was like, all right, I'm tired of playing around in the gym. I actually want to get stronger, and I want that to be that to be my main focus. So that was the fall of 2015. Uh, and he did my programming for about a month or so, and then I went home for Christmas and kind of just fell off. Uh, but that, but that's that's kind of interesting. After what we just said, where like you had developed this love for the gym and this habit of exercising, he writes you a formal program, and then you just promptly stop training. Well, there you go. Too rigid. <laughs> well, it wasn't that. It's just that I went home and I didn't have access to a gym. Okay. <laughs> or I didn't want to make the effort to go to a gym. Well, you sure. know. Okay. Uh, and then I think I either maxed out before that or after that because I was like, well, I'm not on program anymore. Let's see how I do. Yeah. Um, but yeah. and But then yeah, I started to hang around the guys, uh, Travis, David, and different guys from the gym who are also powerlifting. So I started to gravitate towards them, get a little more knowledge from them, and then we all signed up for the meet. I got my timeline mixed up. Yeah. yeah, got my timeline mixed up. But August 2015 was my very first meet. Yeah. Uh, so, and then, what graduate program were you in at the time? Was it exercise science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, at a uh, at ODU. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody around you is into fitness, mm-hmm. at least directly. <laughs> via the education and then maybe even additionally like oh i like this because i have a personal interest in and you know these guys are all lifters cool those folks uh, that was that was around the time we were kind of wrapping up medical school i was training at that gym and i was coaching several of those other guys that she she knew and i, co- I still coach several of those other guys as well so that was oh kind that's of, how you made contact yeah, that's how you made yeah, contact from, from some mutual clients or some some cl- people that i coached that she trained with and stuff like that so I see. So just to to let everybody know, your first meet looks like you end up squatting uh, 325, benching uh, 100 or 205, 203, 204, something like that, and deadlifting 440. No. So that's, that was not my first meet. So my first Oh, that's the first USAPL meet they have for you on the database. Yeah. So my first meet isn't on the database, but I squatted 297. Okay. okay. Um, I benched 165 and I deadlifted 403. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and that, that was, uh, was that a sumo pull? It was a sumo pull. So you had, you had been training sumo already at that point. All right, cool. It was so much of oh. a first meet. I didn't even know I couldn't wear a Velcro belt. Oh, wow. The day before we were supposed to leave for the meet, he said, Hey, I don't think you could wear that belt. I'm like, why would you tell me that the day before the meet? Like, <laughs> you you knew I had to do this meet for like three, four months now. You want to tell me now? And they don't That's sell funny. real belts at Dick's and Sports Authority. Like, you can't find a legit belt. 
So was it a yeah. beltless? Was it a beltless pull in the meat? I had to borrow a belt from someone. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I still think it's funny. And you see, you're uh, uh, what a one uh, one thirty two at that meet. One thirty eight. It was a USAPL meet. Oh, it was used. Okay, one thirty. And he pulled four hundred three. Just yeah, the one everybody just make sure that they know that at your <laughs> very first meet that that you know yeah that's impressive. Okay, so. At, at this point, you haven't met Austin, or you have? I have not. Okay. So when, when did you guys meet? Do you remember Austin? Well, I started coaching. Uh, yeah, I started coaching her actually well before I actually met her in person because she knew those guys that I that I coached and was like, "Hey, they I seem to be doing real well." So let me let me reach out and get some coaching. Um, I think you had been getting some coaching from some some other organization before before we started and then we started uh, working together but I was already out of Virginia at that time because again this was after we finished med school I was down here in Texas already for for residency so I coached her for a while before I actually made a trip back to Virginia and met her and trained with her in person so um oh, okay yeah yeah but Do that, you remember when that was awesome that was after that was after her first nationals that those numbers that you quoted were from her first nationals um, and so it was like a month after that that we got started working together which was at this point like two and a half years ago I think or something like that yeah, that Nationals 2016. Yeah, something, something like that, yeah. Okay, so you guys have been working together now for a little over two years. Uh, this is our anniversary time. I contacted you right <laughs> after Nationals. Yeah, November yeah. after Nationals, that's when I contacted you. Yep. Like, hey, these guys are getting strong. I want to get strong too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so at that time, so 2016, now did you qualify to go to Worlds from 2016 or was that 2017 Raw Nationals that you ended up qualifying to go that to Worlds? That was 2017 Raw Nationals that I qualified. And I was the first alternate and that's how I qualified, how the oh, system is set up. Okay. So you guys have been working together for a little over a year before you went to uh, Worlds. What what was that like? What was, uh, so these Worlds, where were these ones at? These were at, uh, those in, uh, uh, I forget the country. Uh, Canada. Oh, these were the ones in Canada. I thought that okay. I got the one that one confused. You were thinking the ones of the Leo ones went in to. Minsk, Belarus. Minsk, Belarus. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so you're up in Canada. You made it to the world team. What was that experience like? It was awesome. Uh, however, that nationals before that, the raw nationals before that, I had a rough meet, and we we never we never figured out why. So in the back of my mind, I'm like, I hope this doesn't happen again because I don't know <laughs> what happened before. So, you know. So that was, that was my biggest fear for Worlds is like just completely, you know, shit in the bed, really. Uh, <laughs> but once I got my first squad in and it moved like it was supposed to move, everything else kind of followed. And I knew it would be a good day, good day. Yeah, it looks like compared to that Raw Nationals, you did uh, a PR on everything. And then you had you did the you done the Arnold in between. And so it sounds like you almost matched all those numbers until the deadlift when you got to chip that for a new world record. What's it like to set a world record? I, these are things I will never experience. <laughs> so I just like take us through. I mean, did you know it was a world record poll before you went off, went onto the platform? Yes. Cause so for worlds and we could kind of talk about this, I had the option of either pulling for, for the win or pulling the world record. So they left that up to you. Yeah. They left it up to me. So I had nothing to lose. Um, I, I had first in the deadlift regardless I had second in the meet regardless. So I either could have pulled for the win or just settled for the world record. And that wasn't the option that was displayed. It was like, hey, do you want to pull for the win? And then it was like, well, if you don't, we do have this. I was like, all right, let's take that. And for me, it was mainly because my second attempt was so hard that I didn't think I could make that jump. I see. So your your second attempt was what? For 79? Four, yeah, four seventy four, something like that. And the push yeah, four seventy four. The push off the yeah. floor is deadly, so I just didn't know how that jump was going to play out. Right. So for to pull for the win, it would have been two twenty five kilos, right? So four ninety five, and then you ended up pulling four eighty nine, four eighty. Yeah. So after you pulled four eighty eight, so you already knew it was a world record. That was and you were pretty uh, that, comp- was, that was Kim's world record. Yeah, it was Kim's yeah. Uh, yeah. world record. Kim, Kim Walford's old world record. Yeah, sixty. When she, yeah. when she was a sixty three. Yeah. So after you pulled it, you're like, cool, I got a world record. But when you locked it out, were you like, dang, I should have gone to 25? No, I mean, in the moment, I was super happy. I was pumped. It wasn't until like after, like I was sitting at dinner and people was like, hey, why didn't you go for the win? Like, whose decision was that? 
Like, and I was like, wait up, what? <laughs> you yeah, know, like, right. It wasn't until those moments and I was like, oh, snap. You know, and I started checking my Instagram and people was like, what just happened? Why didn't she pull for the win? Yeah, so it wasn't yeah. until that I was like, oh. That's what that's See, what ended up feeding into different decision making at nationals this past fall, where she was like, "I want no options presented to me; just <laughs> load, load, load sure, the sure. bar and, and I'll pull whatever it is." I mean, do you think that you had another seven pounds in you to pull for the win? If I had a fourth attempt, it's easy to say yes. Oh, I see. You know what I yeah. mean? It's just hard to that jump is crazy, and I don't think people understand those jumps. Yeah, exactly. So going from what you had thought was a much harder attempt on your second to third, you felt like maybe that was all you could have done for a third. But then after the third, if you would have gone up seven pounds, you'd be like, maybe I got, I got this. Right. You know, if I get, yeah, a, if yeah. I'm in the gym and I could get unlimited attempts, you know, then sure. <laughs> but you only get three. Sure. Okay. So that's your first world's appearance. So you're riding this high. You've got a world record, uh, and you come coming into this year's Raw Nationals, uh, which are just held in Spokane, Washington. Uh, what I get, and Austin, you can comment on this first if you like. Sure. like what was your game? What was your game plan? Because you know, I mean, it, it seems like the overall goal is, especially in the USAPL sort of structure, you want to win Raw Nationals and get a crazy high Wilkes, so that way you're pick, chosen to go to Worlds, right? That's like the top. That's your goal. Um, did you have any, I don't know, special approach coaching this uh, coming in just to try to ensure that this was sure, yeah, going to happen? Well, I mean, I remember from I actually before we did this, I pulled up her initial like coaching inquiry from when, when we first got started to like refresh my memory on where she was at and what she wanted to do back then. And from the very beginning, the goal has been to win nationals. But of course, we know that in the 63 kilo weight class, uh, there is a formidable opponent uh, by the name of Jennifer Thompson, among others. At the Show time. me my opponent. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, that was a that was definitely a, a, a huge order to to try to not just beat her, but even catch her in the first place. Um, and at the time, you know, there was also Kristen Dunsmore that you were kind of going back and forth with at meet after meet before she has since uh, moved up to the 72s. So we had a lot of competition in that weight class, and and from the very beginning, every meet that Sam did. You know, she had certain kind of, uh, I suppose, weak areas in her in her lifts. And so, for example, like she had possibly the nastiest sticking point right above parallel in the squat that I've ever seen on anybody. And every time she'd go to squat, I would get like chest pain <laughs> when she goes to when she gets the squat command because I'm like, please let her just blow through this thing. And there's been meets where she's done like a two second pause squat above parallel before she gets through it and finishes it. So we had a lot of work to do from that standpoint. Similarly, early on, uh, her deadlift, she would, she would, you know, just rip it off the floor, get it to right above the knees. And then it would be another like four seconds by the time she's able to get it locked out. So same kind of deal there. I get <laughs> recurrent chest pain when the deadlifts came around. I'm like, recurrent is she going to lock it? Pain. Is she going to lock this thing out or not? I remember that happening at one of the Arnold meets in particular. Um, and so <clears throat> that kind of modified, uh, the programming approach to, you know, we're, we, we don't talk a lot about from our coaching and programming stuff towards like the concepts of like, you know, attacking weak points and stuff like that. But at the time I was like, man, this is something that I can't just keep throwing like regular old training at this and, and expect it to just magically disappear. So we put some work into her squat and deadlift mechanics for, you know, to get as much efficiency out of it as possible. But the amount of leg strengthening, like quad focused work that I've thrown at her in the past two years has been astronomical. And I think that that is probably the thing that has contributed most, not towards making that sticking point in the squat, for example, go away, because I don't think it ever will go away at her maximum type weight. You think that but it that's her sticking the, point? It just has increased the threshold. Whereas when she started, sure, sure, it was sure. like this nasty thing at like anything over three 315, it would look like that. Now you don't see it until it's like, you know, at her last meet, she didn't even stick that bad at 374. Um, sure. So it's just elevated that threshold. And similarly, working on the pulling mechanics and actually pulling a lot more. Uh, we do both conventional and sumo pulling. She pulls three times a week, uh, usually in some form or fashion. Uh, and I think all that kind of technical practice, um, she has, you know, when it, when, when, uh, when it's deadlift time in a meet, I mean, you see, she's like full competitor mode, stone faced, very consistent setup, like no, not even an yeah, inkling dude. of like hesitation or fear, you know, uh, at this point anymore. And all her deadlifts lock out super clean nowadays. So that's, that's been a huge, you know, relief <laughs> all around. And so that's always been my biggest thing is like knowing the kind of competition she has to go up against. Like, you know, typically we're, we, we like not, not, uh, focusing a little bit less. I know you've talked about this in the CrossFit world, Jordan, where it's like, you're not necessarily a huge proponent of like 
trying to build up everybody's weak points as you are trying to capitalize as much as possible on like their strengths. There's there's sure. ro- there's room for both, but like get your strengths as strong as they possibly can, which I think we have when it comes to the deadlift, which is like sure. you know what's been what's been shown. People will talk about Jennifer Thompson's first meet where she benched like 230 or something. Well, you know, Sam's first meet deadlift of 403 is on par with that, <laughs> I would argue. So, sure. we're, yeah, we're, yeah. we've definitely capitalized on the deadlift and added, you know, 100 pounds from that 403 deadlift almost since her first meet. Uh, but I think that because of how difficult some of those squats could be and wanting to not let people get too far ahead early on in the meet, which can have some psychological consequences even, uh, trying to shore up some of those things has been a huge focus of, of our programming uh, ever since then to try to raise those thresholds for her. Just basically get her stronger, yeah. you know? Well, right. So that's, why I think, like weak points, you know, sticking points and weak points, I think it's a misstep to try to correct them because I don't think that's actually possible. Yeah, they're not going to go away. Especially in a context of a an experienced lifter, sure. like so, if you're a novice lifter and your st- uh, style of lifting is very very malleable, yeah, right? Yeah. You're gonna things are gonna change a lot, and so sure, maybe it goes away. But if you're an experienced lifter, it's been going on for a while, it's just that's all it's doing is showing you like uh, this is the link in the chain that's going that's going to break, and so you just you got to get stronger to raise that threshold. Yeah, yeah so yeah, exactly. And uh, I think you what you'll find is special exercises or, or variations that contribute more readily to your lifting style and where yet that weak point kind of comes in. That That's where people respond much differently. You know, not everybody just got to do pause squats, pin squats. Yep, sure. Good. You're ready to go. You know, so that's uh, did you have did you know that was going on, Sam? Like, were you like? Okay, this is the special greatest hits edition of my programming. I'm about to go kill this thing. Or did, were you just like, I don't know, this looks like the same. I'm just going to No, do it. well, before I was trying to find ways, before I work, work in Austin, I was trying to find ways to avoid the sticker point. I was like, I know my squat is weak. I need to I need to build my squat. That's that's what's holding me back from being a national champion is the nah, squat. It's fine. You know? But I was trying <laughs> nah. to find all these different ways, all these different styles to prevent that from happening. But we're working with Austin. I, I own my squat. Like, all right, this is my squat. This is you. Let's get stronger in this position. So sure. I stopped chasing rabbits and I, I put in the work. Like, yeah, all right, this I is like it. That. Now let's get stronger in this I've never, position. I've never chased a rabbit. I like you know, that. I like that idiom. Yeah. You know, Google and YouTube. You know, the rabbit hole. Oh, uh, the rat. Yeah. Yes, we know, we know all about that. <laughs> yeah, there, there was there was a lot of work dedicated towards that stuff. And along the way, I mean, you know that I'm going to work a lot on somebody's kind of lifting psychology and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, in the course of any advanced kind of trainees, uh, trainees uh, training and, and, and performance, there's going to be lots of ups and downs. And so we've worked through a lot of that kind of stuff before as well. And she's become heavily fortified, I think, from a mental psychological standpoint um, compared to some of the. What yeah. did you think yeah. the first time I uh, I contacted you and I was like, I want to be a national champion? Where you're like, well, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just knew that you appeared to be a high responder to training, which I think everybody would agree with, meaning that you got sure. strong very, very quickly, very early on. Uh, and so, But the thing is, is that no matter how strong, high of a responder you are, uh, particularly early, that'll manifest early on, but... Uh, to achieve that level of performance against people who have been in the game for decades, like like Jen, for example, it's probably going to take longer than that person wants it to take. And so then it becomes a matter of not so much is this person capable of becoming a national champion, it's are they capable of doing what's necessary for long enough to become a national champion. And that's kind of what has proven to be true with you, which might not be true for other people who operate with the same genetic stock, so to speak, or, you know, or responsiveness to training. Some people might not be willing to do all the things that that you do, which we'll talk a little bit more about how crazy some of it is a little bit later when it comes to your work and stuff like that. Yeah. Let, let, uh, if anyone is wondering like how, how dramatic this national championship actually was, but you know, and if you don't know who Jennifer Thompson is, uh, like she's basically been the 63 kilo, like, the champ like oh i'm serious though i mean if you go back to her first like the first thing that they have listed for her in 2012 like she she's winning the classic cup she's winning the arnold she's winning the first iteration of raw nationals like dude, she's crushing it 63 kilos is her class and she's a masters one lifter and you know she benched i think her best bench is what 140 145 kilos 
or something. <laughs> something disgusting Which is, like that. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, you know, for people, you know, 321 pounds. Okay. 63 kilo female in her forties <laughs> benching, benching, you know, more than you, bro. So, but, but anybody, anybody who's thinking like, oh, maybe she just had a bad meat. No, she had the meat of her life. Yeah. PR, like, total she, PR Wilkes, all that stuff. Yeah, the whole thing. And so so just to kind of give you guys the play-by-play drama as I reenact this. <laughs> so so after the squats, Sam holds a 20-kilo advantage, right? And we go going into bench press, you have to know that Jen's going to put up a big number. And you're like, okay, um, the best I could hope for, the best I could hope for is that we tie on subtotal going into the deadlifts. But but you realize very quickly that's unrealistic because yeah. Jen opens, you know, 135 kilos and you're like, oh, crap. Well, she ate, ate that up. And so after bench press now, Jen is 17 and a half kilos ahead. So going into deadlifts, you're like, all right. But honestly, your first deadlift was 205 kilos. Her first deadlift was 170. So already now you're ahead. And, and so the only thing that I can think of is at that third pole, you end up having to chip to 25 a half kilos so you guys tie on total and you win on body weight. I mean, did you know that was the case? Yes, I did know. Okay. So, and you, you knew that 225.5 was going to have you guys tie. Did she pull before you? I guess she did. Yes. She pulled right flight. before yes, me. Yes, and yeah, like, yeah. she asked, I, we actually like to in exchange words before her final pull. Like, all right, let's go. Like, let's do this. Oh, oh I thought, I thought you were going to go somewhere else with that. <laughs> and it's more yeah. to her than me. I think she's a better, uh, like Jen is the queen. Like she, she has awesome sportsmanship. She's like mama Jen. Like, so like she could play the role very well. So, you, you know, like she encourages everyone. She high fives everyone. Like she has way better sportsmanship than I am. So it's more to her telling me, let's go, let's come on. And me just reciprocating. <laughs> sure. You're like, yeah, all right, do your thing, whatever. <laughs> She's but, had so she's be, had a couple meets though where she does that like on her first deadlift and then just takes an enormous jump to her second pull. So when I saw her first deadlift, I was like, "That's not where she's at today. She's going to go from one seventy to like two ten or something crazy." Yeah, like that. I mean, she went she jumped twenty five kilos yeah. from one seventy to one ninety five. Yeah, uh, but still at that point, you're still ahead. Yeah, right. And, so, and Jennifer Milliken was in the mix of, in the in the meet as well. She was she was hunt on the hunt as well. Yeah. Uh, did you th- ever think about, I mean, I guess it wasn't your call or you kind of were not trying to pay attention. So 225.5 has you tie on body weight. 226 gives you the outright, which you could do because you hold the world record. So you could ship your own world record. Would, uh, any thought to taking 226 versus 225.5? Matt would never do that because <laughs> right. if we miss, Joe's on us. Yeah. So that's yeah. just not his style. That was, so yeah, that was the <laughs> I probably would always yeah. win off a of body weight if I'm lighter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, which is interesting now if the USAPL ends up adopt or the IPF ends up adopting the IWF's new ruling that, you know, you can't win on body weight anymore. You know, that's something that they're, they're switched to. So basically, if you take the lift first, right, then you, that's, you've got it. You have to out total your competitor. Yeah. I don't know if the IPF is going to change, you know, follow suit, but, um, it, interestingly, uh, along the same lines, Leah, uh, was it so if she would have won Masters one, then she would have been selected to go to Worlds again. Um, and so we were dealing with this other competitor on another platform. And the problem was not only were they on a platform that was very far away, right? There's no way to tell like what the attempts are going to be or whatever. But the woman was going after Leah, even though I mean they should have been on the same platform. So you and you and Jen, it was easy if you're going to change your third attempt deadlift, you can do that. But I remember. I saw her thir- the other woman's third attempt, and then I was like, "Oh, okay, so I can change Leah's third attempt, so she'll just tire and beat her on body weight, which she would have done." Um, but then the other woman was able to change her deadlift again before I could change Leah's deadlift again. That that being that being said, I think if they had them on the same platform, I think that woman might have had a bigger deadlift even still, because so, Leah and I end up watching her third deadlift, and it, her third deadlift was like 165 kilos, and it looked like RPE zero, and I was like, she might have had 180, <laughs> like, I don't know, you know, so, but yeah, it was just frustrating, uh, uh, so, but it's, I'm good, glad that you guys were on the same platform, that primetime does have its advantages. I, I do regret not being able to win off of total, because oh, really? I, I hate to write up, like, one off of body weight, it doesn't tell the full story. It's like, an asterisk, it's like an asterisk next to your win. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everyone yeah, can ex- see I have more in a tank, and I only pull that, you know, to solidify the win. So I, yeah. so hopefully at yeah. Worlds, I can do it outright. That's my goal. Yeah. 
Well, Je- again, Jen had the best meat of her life by eight kilos. Uh, like her at the world, she totaled eight kilos less And this. And, you know, you got, you set a PR total as well. So you guys were literally going head to head. Uh, the last interesting aside, powerlifting aside that I will say, you know, I was talking with Dunsmore the other day and she goes, I thought, I think Sam and Austin hated me. Like I thought that they just hated <laughs> me. And I was like, well, no, Austin is just focused and probably tired. And then Sam <laughs> is a stone cold killer when it comes, when it, you know, competition rolls around. Right. So I'm sure they both respect you as a competitor and don't have any ill will. And she's like, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. I go, they'll both deny it, but I'll ask them publicly. Yeah, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Uh, okay. So we kind of covered your sort of genetic, maybe predispositions, given your sprint, uh, you know, sprinting background, your family sprinting background. What sort of factors do you think have led to your level of success right now? You know? You've won two national or nationals. Uh, you've been to worlds. Uh, you're going to the worlds this next this coming year. What do you think's been the the biggest contributors to your success? So I think genetics laid the fo- the foundation. So like the very first deadlift, I remember struggling with is like two ninety five, right? The very first bench is like one forty five. The very first squat, shit, one thirty five. But two twenty five, <laughs> you know, it's probably when I really had to start like working at it, and that's just the foundation. I think just the consistency over time, just the effort I give has been the biggest contributor. Like there's no way around that. You know? Yeah. There's no amount of genetics that's going to get you that far. No. I think, although there yeah, may be, I would, I would agree. And I think that part of the consistent, part of the consistency piece are it's, it's a lot more complex than just consistency. Cause there's a lot of things that feed into allowing consistency to, to happen. So there's the psychological side of things in that you're very resilient. You are, you have the mental attitude of like, you know, like I say, not training is not an option. You're always going to make it work on no matter almost how crazy your schedule is or, or what's going on in your life. And that's part of consistency. And the other is, uh, physical resilience. So, you know, I, the, the, the amount of work that I throw at you, I think outstrips almost every, any, anyone else that I, that I coach. Um, and you just eat it up and you do fine with it. And, you know, overall you've been able to tolerate it. And, and we've been fortunate that whenever there are, you know, little aches or pains like a hip issue or a knee issue or something like that, we can work around it or, or through it fairly, fairly readily. Um, which has been, you know, a huge, huge benefit here because, you know, a, a substantial injury or something can derail things for, for people for, for quite a while sometimes and mask what would otherwise be, you know, really, really good, uh, performance. So I think that that is uh, also a huge piece of this. Um, and and I, I say that to emphasize that, um, you know, people, it's easy for people to point out to genetics and say, oh, like her first ever deadlift or, or her deadlift now, you know, pulling almost 500 pounds at 63 is like just freak land, which is in a sense true. But uh, again, you work harder than all these people that are saying these things. <laughs> like I can, I can say that for sure. And um, you know the struggle we have been through, like, like people don't see the struggle. Like yeah. Yeah. they don't see what I'm messaging you, like freaking out. And you're saying we're just accumulating fatigue. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like those early days, like you had to tell me that so many times. Yeah, like yeah. we're just accumulating Sounds fatigue. Familiar, you're not right. going to be just right now. You know yeah. that first yeah. year was rough. Sure. Because yeah. you know yeah. it was learning a whole new style, and it it, yeah. it, it yeah. was a, a huge learning curve for me, and it was rough mentally and physically. Yeah. Yeah. So I think just just coming with that level of training responsiveness doesn't excuse you from needing to train a lot. And just like anybody else, training more generally gets more results for for people. Um, Yeah. If it makes you feel any better, Austin and I have the same text messages. (laughs) He's like, my squat's down today. I'm like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Everything just trickles upstream. So (laughs) yes, 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 yes. Okay, so now I'm going to ask you, what do you think about the new – we're on the topic of raw nationals and, and powerlifting. What do you think about the new qualifying totals that USAPL came out with? They've raised the the totals up a little bit to make it a little harder to qualify, although, you know, to try, curious to get your take on this. So there's two parts of me. Like, lift is Sam, could care less. It, it doesn't affect me. As long as they have the primetime session, we're good. Yeah, right. You know, and because I love that the meet is huge because all those people – from the morning sessions, watch the evening. So it just makes for an awesome environment for us as lifters. Uh, on the flip side, uh, as a coach, 
You know, I do have clients who it affects mentally it affect them because they base their worth as a lifter off these qualifying standards. When in reality, like in track, I only made it to the national championship meet one time in all yeah. my years of competing, and that was a part of a relay team. Never sure. made it as an individual athlete. And but there was there was conference, there was regionals, there was different stepping stones to get to that point. So I didn't base my entire track career off the fact that I didn't make it to the national meet because the right. national meet was a very prestigious thing. Like it was a big deal. Like you were the best in the world if you made it there, regardless if you got last. <laughs> yeah. Well, you Austin, you probably had a similar experience in swimming. Yeah, I was, I was, like these these sports that are well established, relatively speaking, like track and like swimming for sure. I mean, I didn't make it to nationals at all in swimming, like on the club side or on the, the collegiate side is even more like NCAA swimming is the fastest in the world, like faster than the Olympics in many, in many events. Um, and, and that is just the result of, you know, where these swimmers come from and how the Olympic trials qualifications kind of happen. So nationals was like never even on my radar from a swimming standpoint. I knew that I was like a mediocre swimmer. And so that kind of adjusted my frame of reference to where I was like, oh, I'm going to be comparing myself to people who are at my level at the regional state level. Uh, at the state level at most uh, was where kind of my niche was. And so I've had similar mindsets going through the lifting world is like starting out, you start out, you're a novice, you're pretty weak, you know, you're pretty weak, you start training. And you're like, Oh, now I'm the strongest person in my gym, let me go do a meet. And then you're like, weak as hell at this meet. And you're like, man, I need to get stronger. And now I'm the strongest person at this local meet. And then you bump up to the next level and the next level. And so now here I am. And I'm like, Oh, I went and competed at nationals and got like 16th. But these guys at the top of my weight class are just like insanely strong. And so now I'm like weak all over again. And and it's just the, the frame of reference. But I think powerlifting in general, uh, you know, is was re- has been relatively less developed than track and field uh, been been around for hundreds for 100 plus years or swimming has been around for, you know, decades and decades. And so particularly on the on the women's side, too, but really on both sides as a, as a sport. And so they they had low qualifying to like objectively low qualifying totals to attract tons of people, get everybody excited, involved, huge audiences. And uh, and and uh, and uh, competitive populations at these meets, but yeah, I think it's really a matter of time before nationals needs to be for national level lifters, and then there needs to be this emerging kind of regional level thing in between. Um, that is at least how it's done in many other sports. Whether powerlifting should be unique for some reason, I don't really have a strong argument for that. But I mean, I think that people need to kind of understand that, particularly if they don't have uh, experience competing in other sports, like Sam and I are describing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the membership for powerlifting is, you know, a fraction of most of these other sports. Yeah. So the involvement is, is relatively low. That being said, if there was a feeder like infrastructure set up where there's a state championship and then a regional championship and then a national championship, then I think you can sort of stratify and yeah. allow it's basically more points of entry and points of competition. Yeah. So like, Austin and I just train our faces off, like literally, all right, we're putting the business on hold. All we're doing, we're just going into hiding so we could just train for a year, go to nationals and not be competitive, like in prime to the prime time, the top three, five lifters. Yet if we crack the top 10, we could both like, you know, pat each other on the back, say, good job, bro. Bro. And then, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, but, you know, it's just, there's just a different level of competition. Um, And so I think that right now, there shouldn't be any qualifying totals. I think the actual qualifying totals are bad because this is a cash cow and USAPL needs to make money, right? They need money to set up that infrastructure. And I think by limiting that money, you're not, you're not saving time on the platform. Really? You're not saying, you know, days at the venue needs to be rented. All, all you're doing is decreasing the attendance and decreasing the amount of money that you're pulling in. Like, and I feel like if the ultimate goal is to get to this, sport that has this infrastructure built you know you have multiple usapl certified training clubs you have multiple different levels of championship well that requires money and limiting this because because if you're going to put a qualifying total in to make it a national championship it's still too low so all you're doing is just cutting off the people who want to show up to watch hang out and then also lift while they're there so I, i i can't actually understand why they're doing the qualifying total it doesn't i don't think the attendance would drop though I think they're going to get just as many people in Chicago that it got in Spokane because people are getting stronger. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. So right now, yeah, I, I, I think that if they raised it, if they raised it to a point, um, 
so having any qualifying total, I do think actually drops the attendance compared to having no qualifying total. Does that make sense? But but you're, but you're saying it's still that it's just being raised kind of in proportion as people get stronger. I mean, like you mentioned, I mean, you got fifth a few years ago, like what, three or four years ago at Nationals? Yeah. Uh, fifth or fourth or something like that, depending on whether or not yeah, you're yeah. counting Jesse Norris's uh, placement. And yes. at the time, I mean, didn't Lane get second that year and he pulled like yeah. 7-Eleven or something like that. And now it's like these 93s are pulling 700 for five. And it's like, well, shit, <laughs> what do we do yeah, now? <laughs> got to quit. Yeah, you just quit is what you do. Yeah. You just retire. <laughs> I'm waiting for the sub-master's class or like, you know, financially independent class where you're like, <laughs> you have like a real job. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I Like I said, I, I think that there's probably some fall off in attendance and uh, like how much, how many, you know, how many people sign up to go to the meet when there's any qualifying total at all. And right now the qualifying totals are completely arbitrary. It does not eliminate a significant swath of the of the people to make the meat small enough where you save money on resources. So like it just doesn't make any and saving sessions and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, and it makes the meat only take three days versus four days and vice versa. So I just don't it doesn't make any sense to me. But hey, what do I know about running a business? <laughs> okay, so yeah, the next question. I yeah, so if it's me, I would actually not I just wouldn't have any qualifying totals until you're ready to release like state championship conference championship sort of thing and then and and then shift people accordingly in which case you would have just prime time and the way i envision prime time is you've got like a full broadcast setup where you're like following people around you're hyping up these battles and whatever and it's like a made for tv event i mean it's powerlifting whatever like (laughs) it's uh, i don't know how much you could church it up but uh that's that's what i would imagine uh, the last thing we'll talk about with the USAPL and IPF has handed down the seats says, Hey guys, stop administering drug tests. And then all the people who were previously on your list of like known, known violators, like you reinstate them. And the USAPL said, nah, dog, <laughs> what do you, what, what do you, what do you think about that? What do you think about USAPL on this? Like if, if we take IPF's route, that limits the number of drug tests that USAPL could administer. So then at the local level, at the regional level, you have all these people competing untested. And that kind of just defeats the purpose of the federation. Uh, because, I mean, USAPL is not going to cater to the top 100, the top 1%, which is your elite level lifters who are going to do uh, IPF worlds or, you know, the top half percent. They want to cater to everyone, the, the large majority. And so to have everyone compete in a level playing field, you have to test at the lowest level. If it, and if, I mean, if it's only 10% of those people, you know, that's something versus nothing. Um, so how I understand it is if USAPL would do it based on the IPF standards, the test would be more expensive, which would limit the number of people that they're able to test. Without, without drastically raising prices of participation and stuff like that. Because we, the lifter, would get that call. Correct. Correct. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's a tough decision. <laughs> Drugs and sport are a very interesting topic. Yeah. What do you think about it, Austin? I generally don't think about it all that much. Just, I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, I, uh, I like, I like. I'm sure you listen to them too. Uh, the the juggernaut guys' ideas and thoughts about. This not only this stuff, but about how IPF and USAPL are kind of run and managed in general. And overall, I think they have quite good ideas on the matter. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just generally busy enough with other things that I don't care enough to, you know, worry worry about local level drug testing versus high level drug testing. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just gonna show up and lift. You yeah. know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Up to follow suit. That's how yeah. I am. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that there's not a significant enough difference between drug tested and untested federations when the, if the equipment and weigh-ins and judging were all the same such that I don't know if I can make a strong argument for drug testing, significantly altering the cop, the playing field. What I mean by that is, so for instance, your total at raw nationals was like 1150 something pounds at a, with the two hour, well, whatever, with a two hour weigh in, stiff bar, squats below parallel, knee sleeves only, all these things. Now, if we look at the all-time world record for the the weight class, 132, that puts you at second, or the alt, or, you know, a third, rather, all-time world record in, in, in drug test or not. 
and, and I and just a couple of things, ones that I've checked, it's that seems like pretty consistent. I, I guess what I'm getting at is, I think that if you w- want to compete in powerlifting, then it it shouldn't matter if it's a drug tested or or, or not federation like as to whether or not you compete like i'm gonna sign up for a power to me because i want to power lift well should it be drug tested or not it's like well why does that matter because we cannot guarantee that the the drug tested federation are all clean can't can't do that we're not using a biological passport we're not using a sophisticated enough testing technology not a lot not enough out of season testing to even like remotely like say that people are not using banned substances on a very frequent basis okay and yet your your cost is a considerable amount of resources that go into that from the sport itself which ultimately are limiting its growth uh and does it actually dissuade or deter people from using drugs i don't think that it does right like i just don't think that it does i i don't think it does enough good things um to warrant doing it and i think that it doesn't keep the playing field level either i think actually all it does is hurt the athletes because you're forcing them to do this stuff in secrecy, not using medical professionals. Because what medical doctor is going to be like, oh yeah, you just do a little test, some trend, throw throw some <laughs> animal on there, you'd be good, right? So these people are all doing it themselves, right? And people get hurt that way. Uh, anyway, I don't that's know. for another po- that's for another <laughs> podcast. That's for another podcast. I just I, I what I'm getting at is that I I don't know if it you know changes the playing field enough to say yes, there should be two divisions. And I think that if we had a unified, if you really wanted to have a like a world championship, like powerlifting event, it should be everybody. But you couldn't even if you wanted to go to what's that meet, the Kern Open, yeah, or whatever it is. You know, you, know, you yeah, the IPF is trying. It will stop you from doing that. You want to go show to people you're the baddest 132 in the country. <laughs> you can't show people. That's the unfortunate thing, the, the, the divide in that regard. Because I would love to do other meets. You know, besides yeah. the standing three meets a year, I would love to go to Cali and, you know, compete at some meets over there with other lifters. But we don't get that yeah. option. Yeah. You know? No. Stay in your bubble full with the uh, uh, interesting organizational hierarchy. I'll be interested to see what happens with Wilkes and uh, and this, this cease and desist thing. That'll be, that'll be interesting. All right. Moving along to something more positive. <laughs> uh, what are you doing right now for work? Are you done with your master's degree? Tell us about like some personal stuff. What's going on? So I uh, finished my master's in 2016. I'm currently a coach at the Iron Asylum. Personal training stuff? Yep. Clientele consists of men, women, young, old, powerlifters, general fitness, you know, everything in between. So mm-hmm. I pretty much coach everyone, anyone and, who's trying and, to get better. And you do in-person and remote coaching for in-person folks as well? In-person and online. Yeah. Nice. Uh, where can people find more about your coaching services? This is your plug. Samstrong500.com. That's your, oh yeah, that's right. I remember that. I was I got a little clip from her at the at Raw Nationals, and she was like Samstrong500, and I was like, oh, I got it. Deadless. No, it was actually Wilkes at the time. Right. It was Wilkes. So 500 is like the staple Wilkes, like you know. Well, so she got the she got the Wilkes. Now she has to hit the 500 deadlift. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not optimistic about a 500 squat though. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 10 <Nah>. years <laughs> yeah yeah give it some time um so it sounds like you're working full time mm-hmm. uh, on a hustle how do you balance that with your training because Austin it makes it sound like you're like training your butt off <laughs> <laughs> so my schedule obviously you guys know it, it varies so right now I, I train Tuesday Thursday Saturday Sunday and that's set and that's, that's our training days so I start work on Tuesday at 4 a.m. And I finish at 10 a.m. So at 10 a.m., either I'll, depending on how I feel, either I'll go home and take a nap and come back and work out then, or I'll just suck it up and do it at that time. So I'll okay. get my workout in, and then I'll start work back up. Through three, between 3 and 4 o'clock, I'll start training clients again until 7, 30, 8 o'clock. You know, so I kind of just fit my workout in between my, my gap. Uh, leading up to nationals, I had a four o'clock client, a five o'clock client, a six o'clock client. So I'll kind of eat breakfast throughout those clients, and then I'll train at seven, and then I'll pick back up around ten and train clients again. 
So it just kind of, I just fit it in when I can. And sometimes I try to give myself a large enough break that I can fit in my training. So I try to give myself at least three hours just so I don't have to like, yeah, you know, cram it. Yeah. I mean, I could, That's enough Instagram time in there. Yeah, I see. You got to scroll. <laughs> <laughs> got to be on the gram. So, you know, that's interesting because, and like just hearing that, you're like, how much are they paying you? So I'll pay, I'll give you $1 more to not do that stuff during national prep or world's prep. But then it's thinking like, I don't know, maybe that's your, there's. You get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, like Austin does better when he's like working longer hours in the hospital. And I just, you know, for me, I like melt (laughs) under that. But if you had me work the night shift, I get stronger. I love the night shift and Austin, Austin dies under the night shift. You know, it's just interesting how that, how that ends up playing out, you know, cause people would assume well, if you just didn't have a job, if you were just a pro power lifter, right. Which honestly, doesn't exist. Honestly, I, I, I thought I would base myself work based on my income, but it's more so on my productivity. Like how, how much I'm working in that day. Like if I go, if I have a whole day of nothingness, I'm like, what am, what are you doing with your life right now? Like, what is going on? <laughs> you know, so it's how productive I am in that day. And the more productive I am, the better the, the output is. Yeah. I think that's, that's like I an everyday that's, thing. Yeah. That's probably the same for, I mean, as soon, I think within six, within, within about two or three hours of feeling bored, I have like a new project that I've started on or doing something like that. And that's kind of how we ended up where we are. But I mean, I know it's true for me that in general, my training and performance tend to go better when I'm, when I'm, you know, working in the hospital compared to when I'm not uh, at all. So that's, that's me. Uh, opposite. Yeah. So what I would, okay. yes, it's okay. Things just tank. <laughs> but if I get to work the night shift though, that's the only time when my performance goes up. <laughs> well, um, time to go nocturnal then. It's easier for me to wake up at three o'clock and work versus when I have to come back in the, at, the, at night. I hate working at night. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. I hate it. <laughs> yeah. I kind of, I, I tend to enjoy that. Although the way that society works doesn't allow me to live my best life. <laughs> There was, uh, I think before we wrap up, there was one question that, uh, that we wanted to get your thoughts on that we, uh, skipped over and then we'll wrap up after that. Um, what do you think are, at least um, in your kind of coaching practice, uh, in your own training career, what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes that people make in their training and in competition? Well, I know the biggest mistake is looking over at the next person, you know, like, you know, this person's doing that, or this person is stronger than me, I should be doing that, and not staying in their lane. That's the biggest mm-hmm. mistake, you know, mm-hmm. not focusing on them. Um, in their training, assuming that they don't have a coach, is not owning themselves. Like I said, when I didn't have you chasing rabbits, chasing the rabbit hole, going down <laughs> the rabbit hole, uh, and, and not focusing in on what you're trying to do and understand why you're doing it. Yeah. I think many so, people can't define their why. So I'll have clients come to me like, Sam, I want to make it to nationals, but I also want to be well conditioned and I also want to lose weight. And I'm like, stop. Like, what do you really want? Like, t- yeah. tell yeah. me what do you really want? And we'll focus on that. But we can't do all three. I mean, we can, but you'll be mediocre at sure. best. You know, so I think that's a low low bar dog squad is what's happening, which which you don't see right now. This dog is just jumping. So not having a clear why and focus on what they're trying to achieve. You're talking about embracing the process, basically, which is, I think, something that we emphasize a lot, both in regular training, but also in a lot of the rehab stuff we do with folks, people who want to, in the same way, just make their pain go away right now or get better right now instead of embracing the process of rehabilitation, embracing the process of, of getting themselves back to normal training, normal activity or the process of getting yourself to be a national champion or whatever level of performance you're trying to achieve. Well, I like that answer. Um, (laughs) I don't have anything to add for once in my whole life. Uh, All right, Sam, what's your, uh, what's next for you? What's your next meet? Um, Is that, are you going to do the Arnold or are you just doing a, okay. He's got the Arnold coming up, then worlds nationals. That's a full 2019. We already know where people can find out more about you. Samstrength500.com. Samstrong500.com, right? Ah, sorry. Yeah. Lincoln, Lincoln bio. And, uh, cool, man. Well, thank you for joining us here on the Barbell Medicine podcast. Hey, guys, if, if you want to help us out, leave us a positive review. Go check out Sam's website. (laughs) And, uh, 
I really wish you could see this video of this dog just <laughs> just going crazy on Sam right now. At least he's not barking. All right. <laughs> Say bye, everybody. Bye, guys. See ya. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.